You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. We're going to see the seven things about fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're going to read once again Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen? So the seven things, we begin with the first one, where it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We see that, number one, Jesus calls us to look unto him. Now this is, don't overthink this, there, it's very simply this, Jesus calls our attention to him when we get saved, and then once we begin to follow him, he wants us to continue to follow him and stay focused on him. Always following Jesus, always looking at Jesus. The days that we do not look at him, we get into trouble like we saw Peter. The days that we are not focused, that's where we become discouraged where we lose heart, remember the context of what we just read here in Hebrews, it's so that you don't grow weary, so that you don't faint, that you don't fall. How can we live a spiritual life where we remain strong all the time? Well, the key is respond to the invitation to look at Jesus. I like it says we have this treasure in earthen vessels uh, that are inside. Not, it's not of us, it's Him, it's the glory is His, but it says that we look into the face of Jesus in that passage. When we see into His face and have the spiritual connection, that's fixing our eyes. He wants us to have that kind of relationship with Him where our eyes are fixed on Him and that all we see is Jesus. Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the midday, Jesus at night, Jesus constantly always look toward Him. And there are many other people that we watch in life, and this is the thing. We can look at Jesus or we can look at people. There's always friends, there's people we admire, maybe even spiritual leaders. But often just people that we are associated with, we may admire certain TV personalities or movie stars or, you know, we like Iron Man or whatever. You may like Thor or some type of a hero type that you see and it makes you feel happy. They're all great, but nothing, nothing of them is even close to the quality of our Jesus. That we always have to remember that our chief number one hero must be Jesus. Everyone else falls short of the glory of God. Everyone else will never reach the, the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. And that passage that says that we press toward that, we go on, forget whatever is in the past, we're going to move forward, press toward the mark of that high call. Because we can grow to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. Our example, the firstborn among many brothers. And he's calling us to look at him. But when we become believers in the beginning, we have to reevaluate our objectives and we have to decide what is it that we want to become. Now, sometimes people get saved, they receive Jesus, and it is not their primary consideration to be like Jesus. They may say it, but in actuality, they've already sculpted their life and their understandings and their mindsets according to their culture, according to other ideas. I meet people all the time that have even known Jesus for years, and I find very un-Jesus-like behavior in their lives. And I find sometimes some of them have simply 
added Jesus to their life as a great and wonderful example of, of godliness and perfection, but they don't really look to him as their goal to emulate and copy him. But he is specifically the prototype the Bible calls him. He is the template laid for us to live. In fact, it's so serious, he said, unless you take up your cross, then you cannot be my disciple. So we have to always remind ourselves every morning to look at Jesus. Always remember that we become what we behold. If you're looking at Thor, you'll become Thor. You look at the Hulk, you'll get angry and turn green. But if we look at Jesus, we'll become Jesus. There are other Bible characters I also look at. And I love to emulate. Right now we're doing Journey with David on Wednesdays. And, and yes, I would. David is a lot. But we also know it's not. You don't want to copy everything David did. Yeah, you want to copy the good stuff. But you can safely copy everything Jesus did. Everything he did. Everything he said. How he lived. We look to him. He is our learning place. He is our school. He's our university. Everything he said is so beautiful and so perfect. And I'll tell you where this message came from. On As I was preparing to do the meeting on Tuesday, Monday, I arrived in Cambodia. And actually had that evening had free time. I was able to take my wife on a date to uh, Topaz Restaurant there, which is an amazing French restaurant. It's wow. incredible. I didn't post all the pictures because it just looks way too posh. And, I, you know, I'm supposed to be on a missions trip, right? And I'm like in this five-star amazing restaurant. And the reason we go is because the prices are low. If you ate that same quality food here in Singapore, gosh, it would cost like over $1,000 for a couple to eat easily. But there, it's like a tenth, like $100. And you can eat like anniversary style and eat whatever you want. But the food they have, I think it's, uh, my wife said they have 28 people in the kitchen on staff alone. Wow. It is a full French kitchen with, ev like Ratatouille, the movie, remember? Yeah. Every station in its place with perfection. Everything you eat in that restaurant makes you sigh and groan. Everything. Escargot. I ate in this broiling butter. The bubble, the bubbles were still coming through the butter as I skipped, uh, stuck the um, fork, a little tiny squish squish. You have all the little forks and everything. Stuck the fork in the escargot and ate it. And, oh, and the cream spinach. Oh, and the lobster bisque. Oh, gosh, I'm so hungry now. But anyway, fast forward. Maybe that's why I dreamt what I dreamt that night. So that night I went, I went home, my wife happy, I'm happy, we're full, like we were like had to roll out of the restaurant. We go home and I fell asleep and in the night I had a dream and Jesus was in front of me and I was following him. And he looked back at me and he says, look to me. And I said, yes, yes, that's what I'm doing, following. He says, just keep your eyes on me. And I said, yes, yes. And as I'm walking, I felt like he was speaking to me as he was looking forward. He was just walking and I was following him. Because we're all, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus like we sing. Yeah. And I follow him in life and he's leading me. But it's like he kept talking and I heard him saying, why would you look to me? Why do you look at me? Because there's things you can learn from my life. And then suddenly I dreamt these three things I want to share with you about what we do. Um... We, this is what he told, in the dream I heard these words. We look at what Jesus says to man to learn truth. We look at what Jesus does to man to learn mercy. And we look at what Jesus feels for man to learn compassion. 
Then I thought, all of the stories that fit into these three categories about the truth, of course, is everything that Jesus ever taught, everything that has ever been said. Remember when he was on earth, he said that? You have heard, you can go to this one, um, you have heard that it was said. If you look up that phrase, you will find various things that he was mentioning to reprogram us. Because he was speaking to Jews that were living by certain codes and ideas. Things like, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But, and he had all these buts. Even though these things are important things, even the commandments, you, you shall not commit, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But, you know what? If you even look at a woman, and lust after in her heart. So, like, these are truths that come out, especially in his preaching times, and that comes from the Sermon on the Mount, following the Beatitudes. And there, like, six times he says, you have heard that it was said. However, because he was reprogrammed. In other words, we all know things, but we look to Jesus, and what he said in the Gospels, everything written in red, is so valuable, because that's truth. He said, I am the truth. There's no other human being on this planet that could say, I am the truth. Because let God be true and every man a liar. Nobody is the truth, only he's the truth. Even the disciples understood, well, you know, you're gonna, he, said, he said very hard phrases about unless you eat, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be a part of me. And people were offended by that. They didn't understand he was speaking spiritual words. It was an analogy. And they went away, but all that was left was his disciples. He said, well, you're going to leave me too? And he says, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So the words of Jesus, we look to, or look at what Jesus says in the Bible to, to learn truth. And it should be our only truth. And the problem comes when we add other truths to it. But I'm telling you, and I have said this many times, we can take those red letters and read them like we read our money. If it says 50 on it, it's $50. If it says 5, it's 5. If it says 10, it's 10. If it says 1,000, I like those big bills. If it says 1,000, it is 1,000. That's it. And if you add to that or subtract to do anything, any switching around of what it actually says on that money, then you can be swindled. So I can say to you, actually, that says thousand, but it really means more like a hundred. So here, I'll give you a hundred, you give me the thousand. I think about how easily I could cheat you if you would believe my interpretation of those numbers. I have a revelation about that $50 bill in your hand. I really believe it's only $10. God showed me in a dream. No, God will never show you anything that Jesus didn't speak. The Holy Spirit will never reveal anything or talk to you about anything other than what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said about the Comforter. When He comes, He will remind you of everything that I said. And that's the truth that we follow. That's what we look for. And He goes on. You know, anyone who divorces their wife. You've heard it said, do not break your oath. You heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. You heard it said, you know, um, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And He turned all these things upside down. So we need that reprogramming. The second thing we saw there is that we look at what Jesus does to man to learn mercy. In John 8, 7, when they kept on questioning him, Jesus, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. 
And we know this is the story of the woman who was caught in adultery and they were testing Jesus, so they brought her there ready to stone her as per the law. Stood her there, rocks in hands, and told Jesus this woman was caught in adultery and Moses in the law said that we must stone her. What do you say? What are you going to do? And Jesus just played quiet. He, he was squatting down, drawing on the ground. And I always make a joke that as he was writing, I bet he was writing down there on the ground, Hippocrates. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly they pushed him, they pushed him, and he straightened up because he was down there writing. And they're asking, asking, hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he's like, as soon as he put the period after hypocrites, dude, he stood up and he said what he said here. Let any one of you, and that means one individual, be the initiator. You be the one that start this. Any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Some of the wisest words ever spoken. I put this in the category of the smoking gun sayings of Jesus. Like the old western shoot him up. When he shot and all you see is the smoke trail coming out of the gun. This is one of them. Because they, they had nothing they could say. All you could hear that day were the stones dropping from their hands. Thump, 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 thump. And they all left. Woman, where are your accusers? He said. And she said, they all left. Well, I don't condemn you either. Go. See, we look at the way Jesus treated people and what he does to man and we learn mercy. Mercy. Real mercy. He wants mercy. He's looking for mercy. And if you look at the way Jesus treated, look at the way Jesus treated that sinful woman who barged into Simon's house with the alabaster box. That kind of a relationship, that love. Look at the way Jesus was amongst publicans and sinners, drinking, having a drink, glass of wine with them, talking, laughing, having fun, and please don't come to me with your stoic religious picture of Jesus. Oh, glowing and floating with a halo over his head. He was just like us. Exactly like us. I love, my Bible school teacher had this great picture on his wall in his office. It was a sketch, a beautiful sketch Jesus in full laughter with his head thrown back, like, like laughing hysterically. It's the best picture of Jesus I've ever seen. The first time I saw it, I said to my Bible school uh, teacher, I said, that's the Jesus I know. And he says, Jesus is joy. Jesus is always joy. I said, exactly. So the Lord has that mercy on people and he loves people. The, the third one that he told me in the dream was, uh, we look at what Jesus feels for man to learn compassion. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I like what his compassion does. And this is exactly, he began, when he saw that they were scattered abroad, they did not have someone to teach them, to direct them, to shepherd them. He said, well, I guess that's me. And he just took the job upon himself and he began teaching them many things. And that's exactly, exactly what I think we all should do. If we want to do what Jesus does, we want to show compassion. My ministry in the United States, the missions agency that I founded many years ago, is called Moved with Compassion. If you do a search at movewithcompassion.com or teachingnations.com, it goes to the same site. And there, Moved with Compassion is based upon what Jesus felt. Matthew chapter 9, he looked at the same phrases there about looking and on the sheep 
um, that are spread out there. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest and send forth laborers. But here, I like this because it says he began teaching them. That's the solution. Educate people. That's compassion. Help people. Love people. So this all is encompassed within the first of the seven things which Jesus calls us to look unto him. And that's why we look unto him, as for what the Lord told me, that we look unto him for those, for those three reasons. We look at what Jesus says to man to learn truth. We look at what Jesus does to man to learn mercy. And then we look at what Jesus feels for man to learn compassion. Amen? Now the second one, Jesus is the author. In that passage we read earlier, we, we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And it says pioneer in the NIV. It can mean pioneer, but it simply means the one who institutes or begins something and creates it. Uh, it can be chief as the boss or the one, in other words, if you are the one in charge of something. So he is the one in charge of our life, you could say, just as easily as pioneer. But I like pioneer too because it shows us that it means that he is the author of this new life that we're living, but he lived it as he wrote it. So he wrote life and what it should be in his life as he spoke it, as he exemplified it in his actions toward men. So we look at the author. Always remember that he's the one that wrote the book, and who better knows the story than the one who wrote it? The author knows. He's the author of life. All things were made by him. Nothing was made that was made except through him, it says in John chapter 1. In, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything was made. So he's the author of it all. And he's also the author of your life, your faith. We saw recently a message on your faith about what it does, the power of your faith. Not my faith for you, but your faith within your own life. It saves you. It heals you. It sets you free. It enlightens you. It leads you. It guides you. That's Jesus kept saying to everybody. Your faith did it. Very rarely did Jesus take credit. In fact, never did I find a place where Jesus said he healed anybody or he did anything. He always responded and said, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has healed you. So we saw the power of your faith. And I see this also. Now we're saved by grace and that by faith. And that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Well, who made that faith? Jesus. He's the author of your faith. He created it. And to every man is given a measure of faith from heaven. And inside of you, you have the ability to believe. And he reveals. The flesh and blood does not. But the Father reveals. We see him always firmly as the author. And I like that it goes on next and says, uh, number three, Jesus is the finisher. Uh, another way of translate would be perfecter. There's different, I looked through various translations today and it went, of course, into the Greek language and studied deeply. But finisher is a good one, another, better than this in the Greek. It's closer to a completer. But that's not a, that's an awkward English word. I don't know if it even exists. So, one who completes the task. In other words, what it's saying is Jesus is not a quitter. And he's never going to quit us. Everybody is going to quit us. Anybody in life, there you're going to have problems with their consistency. They're going to have problems continuing. But Jesus demonstrates. Remember, we look toward him to see an example of a man that will never quit. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will complete. Paul wrote about him and said that he will complete the work that he's begun in you. He's faithful to do that. 
So whatever he's authoring in your life, rest assured that come hell or high water, it come by hook or by crook, it will be carried out. Because he cannot be thwarted in what he does. He will finish you. He will complete it. He did not take you out this far to bring you back again, he told them. He brings you all the way to the promised land. He brings you all the way to eternity. The only thing that can stop him from finishing what he wants to do in you is you. And because he's showing you, look, I'll tell you what, let's make this deal. I won't be a quitter, so you don't quit me. If you don't quit me, I won't quit you. So never quit Jesus. Remember, when we're talking about your faith, that's all you need to hang on to is your faith. That woman came and laid before Jesus and begged and prayed, and, and she, did, she had no right to be there. All she had was faith. But faith was enough to get her into the company of Jesus and be accepted. That's all we need is that faith. We hold on to our faith. And we learn that. To hold on to your faith. It's always going to try to be challenged. And Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith not fail. So that means our faith could possibly fail because it is your faith you're in control of. So don't let it fail. Just go out and I found that this is the deception. People make mistakes. People have troubles and difficulties. And then they decide that they should not continue based upon the fact that they failed. But failure in the kingdom of God does not dictate the end of your career in Christ. In fact, it has very little to do with it's simply get back up again, right? Just fall seven times, they get back up. Just don't quit. Just don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I love talking about Joseph all the time. Joseph, one thing Joseph was not was a quitter. He didn't quit. He just kept on going and going and going. I bet halfway through building the stupid ark, Noah wanted to quit. I bet every morning he got up and says, Ah, the boat. Gotta make the boat. Ah, doom, doom, doom. Work on that boat. Work on that boat. He was the author and the finisher of that boat. So it is in our ministry. Everything we, we know that God will take care of us. He will finish it. Finish the task. Finish everything. Make it perfect. As long as we keep our eyes fixed on Him, He will complete what He has set out to do in us. Amen? Now, as we look at Him, as the verse says there in Hebrews that we're breaking down, we see the next one, that Jesus teaches hope. In the verse it says, for the joy set before him. Now, first it said when we were reading there in the beginning part of it, that you know we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, then it goes on to say that he endured the cross, scorning the shame. But itemizing just this phrase about what Jesus is and does, he teaches hope. Think about it. Jesus had a very difficult mission. Jesus knew exactly what he had to do. You know, and as we look at the life of Jesus and what he came to earth to do, as per the Father's instruction, we understand that he had complete comprehension of his work. That's why he told his disciples, the Son of Man must be handed over and mistreated and then crucified. And then, don't worry, on the third day I'll rise again. But he at that point already knew that there would be a resurrection. For the joy set before him. But his joy was multifaceted. It was not his joy that he simply would make it back to heaven. Because he was initially in heaven. 
He said, no one's ever come down from heaven except for the Son of Man. That means he was there first, came down. In fact, we see him visiting the earth in uh, theologically what we call pre-incarnate Christ forms. He shows up. Who was that man in the fiery furnace? That was Jesus. Show up in the furnace. Hey guys, what's up? Should be hot in here, but I changed things. I messed with, I messed with physics for you. You know, he was he he showed up like that. Showed up with Abraham outside his tent. Showed up as Melchizedek, the priest to receive the tithes, and uh, the king of Salem or the king of Pete. We see him throughout. But now here, Jesus is on earth. He comes, and he knew his mission would be revealed to him entirely. Yeah, he's going to have to suffer, but for the joy. But it wasn't just so that he finishes it. Now, I'm okay with this because at least I get out of here. I'm going to leave you losers behind. Finally, how long do I have to be with you? He said many times. And we might look at that and get our feelings hurt. How long do I have to suffer? <laughs> and I think Jesus was often frustrated. But thank God that, as I said, he is the perfecter or the one that doesn't quit. He stayed. He never quit. He kept on doing it no matter what. But he had to give him some room to voice his frustrations. <laughs> but his plan was when he died and rose again, he would ascend. He said, the Son of Man, you'll see the Son of Man ascend back. He would, he, it wasn't so that he can get home and say, yeah, I'm back in glory. <laughs> Those losers are down there. No. The, the, next, the next level of his joy was what he said, so that where I will be, you will be also. <laughs> his purpose was to come down. That's why the harvest of this planet at the end of days is a sweeping of a sickle where he will gather all of the ones that have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. It will carry us to that eternal place. That's his joy. I know without a doubt that's what he saw. When he was on his way to Gethsemane, when he was on his way to go to Golgotha, when Calvary was coming up, I know he had joy because he knew it's going to be worth it all. Why? Because he, was, he had a, a, a hope that he would rise from the dead. We should have the same hope. We learn it from him. In life, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus because he is the reward for all that we go through. He is the blessing. Earlier in the worship, we were, we were celebrating the presence of God, thanking God for his glorious presence. And what we are, we are only tasting here what, what it will be there. In the deepest environments of worship, and when we're in the Holy of Holies, I know we're wild sometimes, but believe me, you ain't seen nothing yet. When we get there, wow, it's going to be so amazing. And so for me, that's a joy that is set before me. And I will live easily live the rest of my life uh, being mistreated, doing whatever, going through whatever problems may come. Those things may happen. And that leads us to segue to the next one. Jesus teaches humility or uh, on the way, endurance. Okay. Jesus teaches endurance. It says, He endured the cross. Now, this, this word is an important word. It means He did not stop. Once again, He's not quitting. He's continuing. He struggled with the fact that He would have to do it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, if it's possible, take this cup for me. But He, he did not. He, he gave the option back. Nevertheless, let your will be done. It was painful. It was terrible what he would have to go through. But we look to him to see the example of the one who endured until the end. 
Blessed is the one who endures to the end because he will be given the crown of life. There's many places in the Bible talks about the ones that just don't quit. It doesn't say, blessed is the one that conquers everything and is only successful all the time because he will be given the reward of the crown of life. It does not say that. It just says endure. Endure. And, and the example is the cross. How can the cross be considered a victory? How can the cross be considered a success? Could you say, being nailed to a cross and murdered that way, that's a, that you know you've had a successful life if they murder you? No, it wasn't supposed to be. The things that we have to endure are not the reward. It's what's coming in the future. He endured the cross for us and taught us, unless you pick up your cross and take it, then you cannot be His disciple. Which means we are going to have to endure these things. And this brings us to the next one. Jesus teaches uh, humility. Scorning its shame, He said. The work of the cross, all that He went through. Another way of saying this is that Jesus made light of the shame. In fact, the Greek means make light of. Make light of means like you say, hey, look, you know, uh, um, uh, I, got, I got $10, and I spent $10. You can't do anything with $10. It's nothing. That's making light of something. Not appreciating. I don't appreciate that. I don't care. It's meaningless to me. That's what his attitude was toward shame. Shame, that is being shamed, spat upon, bruised, mistreated, lied about, treason to the point of death, betrayed by his own, all of that, he made light of it, is what it says in the Greek. He's like, yeah, whatever, that's just the way it is, whatever. Can you say that about the shame that you have to go through? Because this is one thing I know, in serving God, in being a Christian, there are moments that we have to go through shameful things where people will mistreat us, that people will make fun of us, that people will mock us. Um, not so much in some cultures, but there are places in the world where you are even uh, in, under the threat of death just for knowing Jesus. It's so humiliating to live for Christ. That's why a lot of people have trouble living in the kingdom because it requires so much humility. And if they are a proud person that, that always looks to save face and put on a front, or put on airs, it would be because accurately none of us have anything. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're going to make mistakes. Humility is necessary. Jesus walked in perfect humility, scorning the shame of the cross, and He taught us that. Serving God can be very humility, and we're, we're, we are expected to die every day. That's a lot. Die to ourselves and put everyone else first. So no matter what we think, and Paul even said if you're being defrauded, it's better to be defrauded and keep peace with your brother. How dare you take him to a court and sue him? He's a brother. Just let it go. Just lose everything. What Jesus was saying is if, if you have a brother in the Lord and that and there's some kind of problem that happens in your in a, over a property or a business or something, you better just give him the property. Better just let him take the business. But just let it go. Let it go. Because then you'll, be, you'll have peace and you'll have a reward from heaven. But that's really hard to do. And the number one reason is because of pride. It's just not fair. In fact, that's pride's way of speaking. It always says, it's just not fair. It's not right. It's not right. Well, it's not right. I thank God it's not right. I say all the time, Jesus dying on the cross is not right. Nothing right about it. Nothing. It was, in fact, the greatest travesty and miscarriage of justice that's ever been perpetrated in time is Jesus dying on the cross. Totally unfair. 
Fair is the lake of fire. I know you hear me say it all the time. That's fair. That's what we deserve. But we're not getting what we deserve. We're getting what we do not deserve. Because God is not a fair God. God is God. He's the CEO of eternity. And He decides whatever He says is fact. And He calls you righteous and you're righteous. And you're free. He puts your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and says you're perfect. And you look at yourself and you say, you, go, you must need glasses, Jesus, because this is, this is not perfect. i got problems. But he, he doesn't see it. He overlooks all that. That's His love for us. And that's the way He covers us. He's bringing us all the way with Him. Just don't quit. Jesus teaches goal setting. I like that it says that He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now here, Jesus had that goal in mind that he would he knew his goal was to sit in that throne. You think then he can put his feet up on a footstool and and be proud and take all the accolades. No, actually he, he immediately started working again when he got there. Serving us, how? He, where he ever lives to make intercession for us. It wasn't a throne of comfort. It's not a throne of rest and peace and waiting and just chilling out and having lemonade and looking at the angels fly around. and No, he, he at that moment took that place so that he could immediately go to work and pray for us. He continues to be the servant to us that he was when he was on earth. And we will go there and do the same. Of course, we will serve him day and night in his temple forever. So that goal that he had was to take that position of authority and work. By the way, the thrones that he also gives to his disciples that he mentions to the apostles. You will sit on thrones with me where you will do what? Chill out and drink lemonade with me. No, he says, where you will, you will govern the nations. They will govern. That's a hard job to do. So your goal is your involvement in the big plan in heaven, and Jesus teaches us that. So all these things we saw. Jesus had the goal of being exalted, and as we live our life for God, we have to always have the same goal that God will exalt us from this place and put us in heaven and we will be in eternity with Him forever. So these are the things we saw. Several things about fixing our eyes on Jesus. Number one, He calls us to look unto Him, which is true. It says we look at what Jesus says to man to learn truth. That's all the red letters. We're going to read that. Jesus teaches us and shows us. Second, we look at what Jesus does to man to learn mercy. And third, we look at what Jesus feels for man to learn Truth, mercy, and compassion. Jesus is truth. Jesus is mercy. Jesus is compassion. So fix your eyes on Him. He's calling us to fix our eyes on Him. Get tunnel vision with only Jesus at the end of the tunnel. Focused on Him. Focus. It's all I see. Jesus in the morning. Jesus at noontime. Jesus at night. Jesus, let, it, let Jesus be your food. He's called the bread of life. Stare at him all the time. When you wake up, let it be the first thing that you look at. Jesus. Just see Jesus. I wake up in the morning and I always mumble Jesus because I'm not wide awake yet. Jesus. And then I fall back asleep. <laughs> then I wake up. Or I press the snooze button and it wakes me up again. And oh, hey Jesus, I love you. God, I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Get my eyes set. And those mornings that you wake up hurried and you don't do that, they're lousy, aren't they? Not long into the day, usually around 10 o'clock or so, you're just miserable. And you remember, what's wrong with me? Stop and look at Jesus. Just get your eyes back on Jesus. Fix your eyes. Jesus is the author 
He wrote your story. He wrote your life. He wrote your faith. He's the creator of it all. And because of that, He's the ultimate authority. Number three, Jesus is the finisher. He is going to finish you. He is going to perfect you. He is going to complete what He has started in you. Number four, Jesus teaches hope. We need to live by hope. The hope of tomorrow is the strength of today. And if you have that hope, you can endure anything. Because Jesus teaches us that endurance. He endured the cross. And He teaches us humility because of that the scorn. He despised the scorn. As another it's despised um, is to think less of or to make light of that. He did. Shame, no problem. I can deal with that. When people mistreat you and people hurt you, just, just smile. Just smile and keep going. Smile and keep going. Jesus teaches us that. He teaches us humility. And number seven, He teaches us goal setting. What's your goal? What is your goal in life? What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? What's your objectives? Well, mine is eternity. That's the only thing I see. The only thing I see. I was just yesterday just kind of talking about 1995 and what happened to me and um, how eternity, when it came into my life, really I've been in ministry for 10 years, but in 1995, April 7th, at 8.45 in the morning, I had an encounter with God that was so intense and so deep and so powerful that it consumed me. I felt like I was on fire. And I shook and convulsed, could not stop convulsing. And it kept getting stronger and stronger. Finally, I was blinded, and I, I could see only white light. And it lasted for 45 minutes. And uh, for the 45 minutes, by, by 30 minutes of such a thing, if you convulsing and you see white light, how many of you know you start getting concerned? <laughs> I actually thought that he came to kill me because I had been too much of a bother to him. And it'd be easier to just kill me and take me home than have to endure me on the earth. And I had these thoughts going through my head, but he, he just kept pouring out power and power and power. And I just kept convulsing white light. After that 45 minutes ended, little by little my vision came back and my vision was different. And I've never gone back to how I saw things before 1995. What I mean by there's a scripture uh, in Hebrews chapter 6 that says those who were once enlightened, uh, those are the ones, because they were made partakers of the Holy Spirit, they tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. There's a realm that we break into if we get to that level. And I realize not everybody's at that level yet. But so therefore that's a goal. We need always press toward that place. To where your vision changes. And suddenly you see the truth. Since 1995, uh, I have never, I lost everything that is appealing became unappealing. I don't see, because I see the truth. And this is, if I had to try to describe to you what it looks like, um, the analogy I thought of yesterday was, imagine that you're in a department store, and I know we've all done this, and we're shopping, and there's uh, somebody next to us, and we bump it. Oh, I'm sorry, and you turn it. It's a mannequin. Have you ever done that? Like, oh, I thought it was a person. Well, how do you know it's not a real person? It looks like a mannequin. I mean, obviously, you look at it. It's a, it's a you know, it's a mannequin. It's not a real person. It often, doesn't even have eyes drawn on it. Sometimes it's just a big baldy head and little like cone hands, and that's obviously, <laughs> obviously a mannequin, right? That is what happened to me in 1995. When I came out of that, 
everybody looks like mannequins. Everybody looks fake. Then I realized because all of this is not real. It's real from a perception of time, but it's not real. It's fake. We're all a bunch of bald-headed, cone-hand mannequins that are, are, are going to vanish from this. But this is not the real. Now, this is interesting. I realized for the first time yesterday, when, when I was talking about it, what it was that happened to me. And the Bible speaks about it in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, that the, the, the gift of discerning of spirits. That when he came and shifted my vision, people often wonder, how is it that you say God is moving there, the Lord, I see the Lord. And you often hear me say, I see the Lord, because in, in that moment, suddenly you look like a real person and no longer like a mannequin. You stop looking fake and suddenly you become real because eternity washes over you. And when it happens, I see you in your beauty. And that's when I say, God has moved. God is all over you. God, I'll say that. God is all over you. God is like, like see, right now Nicole looks so real to me. Suddenly, she's the, she in the room, suddenly to me, stands out. She's, because see, she's caught up in heaven now. She's connected to heaven. You can see it rushing through her skin, consumed by the Holy Spirit. So she now, I see she's the only real one in the room. I mean, not that we're all connected, but to me, it's like tunnel vision. I'm trying to tell you how, for me, I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Because he's the only real thing there is. And everything else is nothing. It's my focus is on we come under the mighty hand of God. He is our reality. Everything else is not real. Nothing will last. Nothing's going to endure, but He will always be. And we are not meant to be temporal, fleshly people. We are spirit. And our spirit is real in eternity. And our spirit will go on living forever. We will transcend from this place into the reality. All by the power of the Holy Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.